Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Kevin Snow. As the founder of Time on Target, Kevin is a sales expert and a serious technology geek who knows how to help his clients take their automation game to the next level, and he's helping to change the game of business development. After having an over 20-year career working with brands like Frontier Communications, Nextel, Salesforce, and BNI, he leverages his knowledge to integrate communication and technology throughout marketing and sales processes. Kevin is a digital sales tech expert, sales process optimizer, author, public speaker, and co-host of the Growth Mode podcast. Today, Kevin and I are going to be chatting about his sales process and strategy, along with outbound sales automation. We'll learn what works from Kevin's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Kevin, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Hi, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Well, I am delighted because as I was sharing right before we got started, you specialize in an area that so many businesses, I'm just going to say, fail a little at. And really eager to dive in today, learn more about how all of us can feel a little less. But what I'd like to do is start you off by sharing how did you get here today that you are the king of sales automation? <laughs> oh, that's that's kind of a long story. And I know we only have 30 minutes, so I'm going to try and keep it really short. But I actually, I started a company. I didn't start a company because I wanted to. It was, it was almost thrust upon me. So uh, 12 years ago, I was, uh, I was working really heavily with BNI in uh, the local region here. And I was really good at launching chapters and launching large chapters and doing it quickly. So other regions from around the country and the world were saying, hey, Kevin, can you come in and train our team? I'm like, sure, awesome. That'd be awesome. They're like, yeah, we'll fly you in and we'll pay you. I'm like, oh, you want to give me money too. And like, I need a company because <laughs> I could just, yeah, he's like, here, take money and make it out to me. So I, I had to start Time on Target. So Time on Target was started as a training company. And originally it was just for the other regions to give me money to speak and to come in and train their teams, which was cool. But then I started speaking to other organizations and like to chambers and business organizations and sales associations and teaching about sales and marketing and, and networking. You know, it was really fun. So as the introvert, I got to be at the center of the stage and, and do the speaking thing for a while uh, and exercise that side of my personality, which was really awesome. Uh, but then I deployed. So I ended up going over in 2011 to Kuwait. Uh, we were part of the drawdown mission in Iraq. So I got to see all corners of the Iraq countryside. Uh, and we were over there for a year. And then I came back and I'm like, hmm, I don't have any speaking projects. I, I don't have anything in my pipeline for speaking gigs. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Now what am I going to do? Uh, and I, and I realized that I had just found the major flaw in my business model. And that was me. It, my company couldn't survive me being gone. So I talking with some of my mentors at the time, I, I came to the realization that I had really had a really cool job uh, and not a really cool company. So I had to, at that point, really decide what I wanted to do with time on target. You know, you know, do I go back just to the corporate workforce? Do I go back to the speaking thing? Or do I do something completely different with the company? And I 
did something completely different with the company. I, I transitioned the speaking and uh, training stuff into business development work. And then I made the focus of my company actually consulting with businesses and going into specifically at that time, I was working with tech firms to help them figure out how to launch sales teams, or in some cases, how to fix the sales team that they had just went out and hired, but didn't know what to do with. So we were going in and helping them write job descriptions and teaching them how to interview salespeople and then you know how to build a sales process and how to train the salespeople and then manage salespeople and, and going through the whole process with them over a course of six to seven months. And which was really awesome. I loved it. I got to interact with a lot of really cool companies and I learned a ton about how businesses operate uh, outside of that sales arena, which was great. But I started finding things about that that I didn't like and that were really roadblocks for how my business could grow. Uh, and one of them was the interview process. You know, if you're hiring three salespeople at a time, you're doing like 40 initial interviews. And then you have all the follow-up interviews. And I'm like, this takes a lot of my time. This is not scalable for me to do. Um, so we started scaling down what my consulting was. So that it was easier for me to have multiple clients going at once. Um, I could really focus on things that added value to them. And then I could figure out, all right, so how do I scale the company so that I can do more sales and working with the clients and less working in the client's stuff. So we really started focusing on sales process because I was, I love designing the process piece and being able to meet with their clients and meet the salespeople and really digging into how things were working and then and paint this really cool picture and, show them a way forward. So that was our focus for a bit. And then I had my next realization that I was an idiot. And that was when I realized that I should not be giving the automation and CRM stuff to other people. So I had been outsourcing all that to partners because I wanted to be the good consultant that, you know, don't, you know, let's find the system that's right for you. Not the one that I happened to be selling at the time. Or the one that you really understand, know backwards exactly. and forwards, know how to leverage, know how to like make the things that are broken work, you know, that type yeah, of thing. Exactly. And so I, I literally sat up in the middle of the night one night. I'm like, oh, you're an idiot. And so going forward, then I I already had an automation system that I love. So that was now our automation system of choice. I had a couple of CRMs that I really loved working with. I became partners with them immediately. And we added that into the piece. And now our focus is really on how do you integrate the technology into your sales process so that it feels authentic to both the, the company that's using it, uh, but also to the people that are the recipients of all the automation and making that making sure that you're not using the default process that comes with the CRMs, you're actually using the one that works for your business. And that's really where we are, you know, up through uh, the beginning of COVID, uh, where we did another big shift and we added on a networking organization with a business partner. And uh, so we've been growing time on target and success champions networking for the last two years. Well, that is awesome. So you start working with someone. <laughs> I'm like, okay, where'd we go there? First, I'm like, okay, where do we want to start here? So you start working with a client and you're like, I am going to get you dialed in. Where do the wheels first go off the bus? How do you actually figure out the first best steps to actually make this happen uh, versus spinning wheels? 
so for me, I actually have to understand what they already have in place and what they're trying to do. So it's usually before we've even done a strategy meeting, I've already gotten logins to if they have an automation tool already, if they have CRM set up, uh, you know, whatever type of system they have. I've already gone in and looked and seen how things are going and what's getting used, what's not, if they've set up uh, automations or any types of sequences. Uh, and then getting to the strategy meeting, it's really helping them walk through the process mm -hmm. and helping them get that initial map of, well, here's what we're doing. And usually the first time that they really stumble, you know, like fall off the cliff stumble is when I ask them, all right, so how do your clients make a purchasing decision? And that's usually the one they're like, oh, uh, we have no idea. Everything else they know, they just don't know they know. This is okay. usually the one thing that they don't actually know anything about because they've never thought about it that way. Most small businesses will go, you know, listen to all the internet gurus and say, well, here's how you sell. And here's my proven system to increase your sales by a thousand percent this year. Um, and so they're using other people's processes. The key to making a sales process effective is understanding how your clients make those purchasing decisions. You know, what specific questions are they asking at each step of their decision-making process? So we're giving them the right information at the right time. The reason a lot of sales feels slimy to people is because that salesperson is jumping ahead in the process. They're trying to get to that big climax at the end with the, yes, I'm going to buy stuff from you uh, without going through all the steps that the client needs to actually feel comfortable making that decision and being able to say, yes, this is a no brainer. We need to do stuff together. Uh, and that's why sales people don't, that's why people hate sales because they think they're going to feel like that. But if you're going through the process and you're in sync with your clients and you're asking all the right questions so that you're making them think and you know what types of information you'd be giving them so that they're feeling happy about the process, sales isn't that competitive, combative sport. It is really, sales should be a collaboration. You know, we teach all of our members that sales is just a conversation with an outcome. It's just like if you and I were, uh, you know, friends, and I called you up one day and say, "Hey, what are you doing Tuesday?" And we're chatting. Then at the end of the end of the call, it's always, "All right, well, I'll call you Tuesday, or I'll talk to you this weekend." Hey, give me a call. Let me know how this thing went with you. And that's that's the outcome, and that's how sales should be. Every all of it's just a conversation where there's an outcome and next steps. And that's where people who are not necessarily in tune with the synchronicity of what they're putting out there start stumbling because they feel like they're shoving on the sales side, the organization, they feel like they're shoving this widget or service down someone's throat that, yep. and the other person on the other side of the table is sitting here trying to be like, I have to defend. I know I need a solution, <laughs> but keep the money, keep the money. I yep. have to defend the money, defend the money. Yeah, exactly. And I learned this when I was selling at Nextel. So my first sales job when at Frontier was horrible. I got fired. I, I, I don't think I even lasted a year. Um, I'm supposed to actually be a high school agriculture teacher and wrestling coach. So uh, I jumped from that out of college right into sales and business. So uh, yeah, first experience, not so good. But at Nextel, I figured it out and I ended up, you know, they always give you these horrible pitch decks. You know, here's your through and binder of all the things you have to flip through and make sure you have to tell the client at your sales call. I ended up getting rid of that. And I discovered because of my personality as a high C, questions are my superpower. 
and I can, you know, I ask tons of questions, get a lot of information then I can put together these really cool answers for the client that makes them think, oh, wow, that'd be awesome. Can we actually do that? And then I get to say, oh, yeah, we can. Here's how. And at Nextel, because I was doing that, and this was right when cellular was really starting to get commoditized and all the big carriers, like, I'll give you a free phone and we'll give you a first month free if you purchase today type stuff. I was actually tripling my client's cellular spend, but I was able to add on 15, 20% more revenue for the company because I figured out, hey, you have issues with, you know, uh, gas, you're spending too much on gas, you're not able to get enough jobs in. Uh, and we could use GPS and different applications we had to say, hey, how about if we helped you optimize your delivery routes? How about if we uh, to optimize your dispatching mm -hmm. and all this type of stuff? And they're like, oh my God. And then it became really easy to sell because the question was not, hey, do you want to buy my stuff? The question now became, hey, what would it mean to your business if you could do one additional job per crew a day? they're like, that would make us an additional $50,000 a month. Like, all right, so how do we get started? And there was no more, hey, if you sign by the end of the month, I'll give you a free phone. Right. I didn't give stuff away. If they were really big, I'd say, hey, you know what, I'll, here's what I'll do. But normally it was because I could actually help them make their business better right. and give them an opportunity to do things that they couldn't do before because they were just trying to figure out how to, how do we cut prices? Well, how about you make more revenue? And that's what really opened my eyes to this. You know, I don't have to be the aggressive combative sales guy, you know, using all the old Zig Ziglar closes, you know, the takeaway clothes and all those that I absolutely hate. I could actually sell in a way that was authentic to my personality, but actually made the client feel good about buying. Sure. You were actually delivering something that was of value. You were of service to the company that, and you are a man for anyone who does not know listening right now, we uh, are talking. Kevin is a veteran who very much so supports veterans. He is still in the national guard today. Um, so being of service to me is probably something that is very key to who you are at your heart and your core. Um, yep. But the big issue I think at a lot of organizations is, you know, they want a sales guy like you, right? They want someone who can listen yep. and interpret and take that information and give back. But, and I, I'm speaking from experience as an agency owner, not so easy to find those sales guys and gals necessarily out there. A lot of times the ownership is that um, and the owner operator of the business is that, and they were really good at whatever they were doing before. And now they've gotten themselves in a service business, a brand owning business or some sort of business where they're dependent on some of their team members to also be really good at that. And that's where your sales automation and your processes yep. come in place because you can take what's in your brain and try to at least give it to some of your team members to be able to use the same methods that you use. Is that kind of where you come from? Yeah. And sales automation for me really can focus on two different things for a company. It can focus on automating redundant tasks Mm -hmm. And it can uh, focus on automating communication. A lot of times those overlap with what, what we're doing with our clients. But the goal, if your automation is set up correctly, it's actually freeing up a ton of time for the owner to do more sales stuff or to actually work on scaling their business or for that salesperson to be able to handle more clients in their pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, so the biggest, the number one thing I discovered for salespeople that was their, their time 
you know, time sync was actually finding content that was applicable to their client to send out, you know, and I, I remember looking back when I was at Nextel, I was very familiar with our corporate server structure and where all mark where marketing had all their stuff. Cause I would search all the time to try and find cool content that I could send out to my clients to support what we were talking about. Well, and, and if you understand how your client makes purchasing decisions and the differences between the industries that you serve, you can automate that so that, you know, for example, I worked with a roofing company, they'd have their first meeting where they'd go out, they'd do all the measurements and talk about, you know, types of roofs and all that stuff. And then they'd leave to do pricing and to put together the quote. Well, roofing is one of those industries where no one's sure if they're getting a good deal or if they're about to get scammed or ripped off. You know, in Minnesota, we have uh, in the spring and uh, late summer, we have stormers that show up from Georgia. Uh, because every time there's a big hailstorm, oh, there's a, someone knocking at my door with a southern accent to, trying to sell me a roof. And yeah, the insurance companies pay off, so they know that they exactly, can get exactly, and they make a ton of money doing it. So they just have storm crews that go mm-hmm. to all these places to get storms, and they're not local. There's not going to be any support. Uh, so for the roofing company, we sent out after that first meeting, we had it triggered that they marked the meeting complete, and then an email gets sent out to the client with a guide on how to actually choose a roofer and not get scammed. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what we called it, how to pick your roofer without getting scammed. And it was all about, hey, here's the things you need to ask. Here's the things you need to look for. Uh, all the key questions and, and the answers that they should be getting so that they understood what was a good answer and how to make uh, decisions. So, and that's the big con- uh, content of the question piece that people had at the beginning of that sales process is like, oh my God, how do I make a decision without losing my money? Mm-hmm. After the pricing goes out, we had it automated to send out another piece of content, which was testimonial based. So it was now we did the social proof thing to help them feel confident. All right. So, Hey, there's people who live near me, people in my town who have actually used this company and liked them and were happy with it. So it's really understanding what's going through your client's head as they're making this decision. So you can push the content out. And if you have that mapped out, it's like, all right, so in stage one, the client's asking this stuff and here's their concerns stage two, they're doing this. And here's what they're trying to figure out. You can, you can uh, set up your automation to support what your salesperson did by sending those pieces out that will answer those questions and make sure that information's right in front of them when they're looking for it. Not, you know, here's, here's a bunch of testimonials. Well, we don't even know if we have an issue (laughs) and, you know, we need to decide that first. So that's the real key for salespeople for communication is understanding what needs to go out when. So what you're saying is do not have the meeting and then just say, are you ready to get married? Yes, exactly. Uh, And don't get me wrong. You can totally one call close a ton of stuff. I one call close digital marketing, but I've been doing it long enough. I understand how to run that sales meeting that I can get them from. I don't know if we need this to, oh my God, this is awesome. When can we start in, in a, in one meeting, but for a lot of, businesses, especially if you're in IT or something that's technical, it's going to take more than one meeting. And you have to understand how the needs of the client change as you move through that process. And what is the best way to dial in whatever, you know, whether you are a roofing company or a service business of another sort, what is the best way to dial in and figure out 
what those needs are? Ask. My favorite part of when I'd be working with clients and we'd be mapping out their sales process was reaching out to their clients and bringing them in and asking them questions. You know, we some of them, depending on the clients, some of them we'd take out to breakfast or we'd go out to lunch. Some we'd bring into the office to meet. We'd also ask the ones who said no, which was shocking for some of my clients. Like, you're going to talk to the ones who said no? Oh, yeah. I want to know what you did wrong. I want to know why they said no and what, what made them have that decision so we can make sure you don't do it again. But that's the key is having those conversations. If a client's happy with you and they like you, they want you to do better because that means you're going to stick around and they get to keep working with you and, and changes. Businesses don't like change. If they don't have a change of vendor, they don't want to. So if you're, uh, you know, if you're trying to learn from them and keep them involved in making the service better, they're totally going to be on board. So I've never had a client that was an existing client say, no, we don't want to talk to them. You know, that's usually a sign. If I'd have that, I'd be like, all right, you need to figure out what's going on because they don't even want to help you get better. You need to have some discussions. But, you know, and that's the key. And a lot of businesses are afraid because they might hear something that's going to hurt their feelings. They will hear something that might hurt yeah. their feelings. It's, it, it's like you're, if you ask and you dig in the hornet's nest, but the information is going to make you stronger. And I give them guidelines because I'll have them in the meeting with us, the owner or whoever I'm working with. I'm like, all right, you can't get defensive. You don't get to explain or try and justify anything. You get to smile and nod and say, oh, wow, tell me more. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we have rules. And this is something I learned in the military. We do every time we do any type of activity, training, exercise, uh, whatever it is, we do what's called an after action review. So we talk about what was supposed to happen, what actually happened, and then what could do better. And the rules for the leadership that are conducting that AAR is that when we get to the point of, well, here's what we could have done better, because these are all soldiers now that are telling you, these are your privates, 18, 19 year old kids who are now getting to have some feedback into their daily life, is you don't get to defend. You have to stand there and take it. If they tell you that it sucked and here's why it sucked and here's how to do it better, you have to say, oh, wow. All right, cool. Tell me more and get them to engage. And that's hard. And that is a really hard thing to do. It is really hard. And I've yelled at as uh, multiple lieutenants now that are doing this. I'm like, shut up <laughs> or during the event. Because I'm like, you don't get to defend. Let he, the private gets to talk. So, and, but it is because if, as soon as you start defending and trying to justify, the person will stop talking. And they're going to shut down. Exactly. So, and so that's really, that's hard for a lot of business owners because they have this, well, here's why I did it. And if they only understood why I'm like, no, it doesn't matter why you did what matters is their perception of what happened. Right. So, yeah, but asking is key. And we do that uh, with success champions. And then with my company all the time, we're always eliciting feedback from our members and from our clients. Like, tell me what I did wrong. Tell me what I can do better. How do we make this relationship work stronger, you know, and trying to learn because they come up with really cool ideas. As business owners, we're so stuck in everything that's going on in our companies that we don't always see where we can do improvements. But those people that have an outside viewpoint can come in. It's like, oh, what if we did this? And you'll be like, oh my God, how did I not ever think of this? Like, well, because you're too close. So you're working with a company. You are helping them figure out, you know, these processes of feedback as well. That's part of the process. What's your next step that you do then? 
So once we have gotten some feedback from their clients, we've gotten feedback. If they have a sales team, we get feedback from the sales team on what they actually do on a daily basis, you know, from the owners, you know, I'll also talk to, you know, like customer service and anyone who interacts with the clients so that they can get some feedback into, Hey, here's, here's what the mess we're getting when it gets handed to us. Um, but then, you know, so that everything can kind of flow together. My next step is then to just like start taking it and, and like cut and pasting and making it, you know, arts and crafts and turning it all into some sort of process of, all right, so based on everything that I said, here's what's going on in your sales team. So there'll be two lines. There'll be a parallel process. Here's what's going on with your sales process. And then here's what's happening with the clients. And then being able to show them, all right, here's what's wrong. Here's where you're not synced up. Here's where we need to move things around and do things different and giving them that idea of, all right, so here's what we're going to build. And then after that, it's actually building it and figuring out, all right, so how do we automate this? What do we do? What is, you know, uh, what type of, if they don't have any technology, what kind of tech do we need to use? You know, what features does it need to have? Uh, is mine the right one or do I need to find something else that's uh, simpler because they don't need all the stuff? And what are your favorites I, that you work on? The one I use all the time is called Entreport. So they're out of Santa Barbara. I talk about them all the time. I will partner with them. Uh, they, what I love about them is they're not your normal marketing automation tool. They do all the marketing automation stuff, uh, but then they also allow you to add in a human element into the campaigns. So I can actually, in the middle of a, like a sales automation, I can assign a task to a salesperson to do a specific thing. And the automation will stop until they mark that task complete. So for business owners, that can be, hey, you have to complete this meeting with the client. All right, meeting's complete. Here's the outcome. We can make them say it was a good meeting, bad meeting, and then that can really funnel things different ways. But nothing happens until they complete that task. And that's how you stop the content funnel from getting ahead of the sales process. You know, a lot, a lot of systems, it's all time-based. So we're going to send you a thing. And then two days later, we're going to send you another thing. And then all three days later, we'll send you this thing. Uh, and it's not based on any interaction you're having with them. Other than maybe if, oh, they clicked the thing, so we'll send them this other one now. But with Entreport, we can actually set up tasks and wait for the client to do specific stuff. So if we send them an email that we want them to go download this thing or fill out this form, it'll wait for them to do that. And if it doesn't do it in a certain time, they'll say, hey, don't forget you need to do this so we can send you these things. Uh, and it can remind the sales rep, hey, follow up with this client. They haven't filled out the form yet. So we can, uh, we can uh, remind the client to do stuff, but we can also remind the salesperson, hey, you need to go do these things so we can do the next stuff. And it's, uh, that human element is key for me, uh, for how I work with clients, just because it keeps, that's what helps keeps automation personable to the client is they're still talking to a real person while they're getting this stuff. And they, they will a lot of times not even realize that the emails they're getting are automated because they're still having that face-to-face -face conversations at the same time. It's just taking the lift, the heavy, heavy, heavy lift off your sales team. Yeah. Remembering to send out things all the time. I, I was pre- CRMs when I was doing the Nextel thing. That's literally how old I am now. Um, 
Salesforce was still salesforce.com and act was like the only real uh, CRM out there. Not everyone used it. So on Fridays would be my, Hey, I need to send email to all my first meetings. And I'd send out the email and I'd have it all written up with my template. And so I'd be cutting and pasting into the Outlook window. Making mistakes, making mistakes, yep. making mistakes, making more uh, mistakes. Oops, every, oops, oops. every Friday I'd send, uh, I'd send an email to Stacy that said, Hey, Bob. Yep. <laughs> or I wouldn't change the company name. I'd hit send it. And I'm like, Oh my God, what did I just do? And then uh, you're like, hi, Bob. <laughs> I met Stacy. I knew you were Stacy <laughs> exactly. the whole time. Yep. Sorry about that. They literally know. Yep. He's just sending out templated you yep. know, form letters. Copy paste. Exactly. Our team failed copy paste today. So sorry. <laughs> yep. And occasionally I will do that when I'm building automations, I'll forget to update something. And I'll have to do the oops, sent this thing out. Sorry. Uh, but you know, with, with that, it was literally all the time. And the amount of time it was taking me to do the emails and the impact that I was having because I couldn't do them right because uh, I wanted to be doing other things that actually made me money uh, were, it was just horrible. But now with the automation, you can take all that stuff off the salesperson's plate. So they're focused on prospecting. They're focused on getting in front of clients. They're focused on uh, upselling clients. They're doing the things that actually generate revenue, not the things that are that's busy work that you don't really want to pay anyone to do. Exactly. And then what do you do? So once my big thing with my clients is we start small. So a lot of times the clients I come in with have an idea, well, we want to do this big thing. And they have this really cool idea for how they want to do automation and all this stuff. And usually when I meet with them, I'm like, oh, and we can do all this stuff. So I'll even make it bigger. But I really stress home to the client. All right. So we're going to start with this little thing. We're going to do this one little automation that's going to free up 25 minutes a day for your salespeople. Mm-hmm. Every single salesperson is going to have 25 minutes more a day because they don't have to do this anymore. We're going to automate it. And then we're going to start using it. And we're going to watch and see how it works, what kind of adoption rates we're getting from uh, clients. Are they clicking open? Are they clicking through, doing the thing that we want them to do? Uh, we'll be doing the split testing. You know, How do we change subject lines? How do we change content? Does it need to be a blue banner instead of a red banner? All that fun stuff. But then it's making those changes. And then when everyone's comfortable, all right, this is really cool. All right, so what's the next thing? Then we build out the next one and we add to it. And then we add some more. And then we just keep going over and over in that iterative cycle. And else soon you have the big thing you wanted. But the reason a lot of small businesses fail when they're trying to implement some sort of digital marketing is they try and go big and try and implement this big automation thing that's really super cool, but it's complicated. And they're not the experts in this. They don't understand how to implement and how all the triggers work. And then things don't work. And then they're frustrated because they don't know how to fix it. And now they're spending more time on with customer support, trying to fix the thing they built that was supposed to save them time. Then it would have actually took them to do the thing. So they stop. But if you start with a little thing, make that work. You're like, oh, this is awesome. Cool. And then add another little thing. So what you're saying is little steps of like yes i got it versus like i failed it's a fail and and it's easier for for us as consultants going into a client as well they get to get quick wins that is always the first thing i find for clients all right so what's going to be the quick win that's going to make people happy and be excited and get them engaged so we can now do the next thing that might be a little bit harder okay and so 
when you're doing this and we're talking about, you know, little wins, what's the right automation flow for this? Like you don't necessarily like we use HubSpot as an example, yep. right? Love HubSpot. And I think there's up to seven that you could do five to seven, depending on your automation. Like, should you go in and be like, I'm going to use every last sucker of that? Or <laughs> should you be really parsing it down in smaller bite-sized pieces? Um, it really depends on who your client is and how much communication they can take. Mm-hmm. No, there are some in, uh, in uh, retail for, you know, retail websites, they need way more communication. They need a lot of touches. They need all the stuff set up. They need the abandoned cart and, Hey, we have this new thing that you, we thought you might like, they need all that stuff to keep people to keep the traffic. Cause that's really what they're going for. We need people coming to our website. Uh, Cause that's what drives sales for a B2B sale, which is what I focus on. You have, it's very much more strategic for me. So when we're looking at stuff, I'm trying to figure out, all right, so for your client, are they going to read a 20 page white paper or not? You know, are they a high D where I need to bullet point everything? Or is it a high C where I can give them more detail because they want it? And can I, how do I leverage those personality traits to get them to click through, to get more stuff? So C's are easy. <laughs> so, cause I can send them a, a teaser with some really cool content without the without the big bang at the end uh, and then give them a button to click to hey to read more do click here and then they'll go and it's awesome because we want all the info you know our high d's i need to give them the bullet points up front and a compelling reason for them to click they want to know the bottom line what it means to them and then i have to have that compelling reason to get them to actually do stuff mm-hmm. so it's you know it's really understanding who your business target is so it's, you know, how much stuff you can be using and what's going to overwhelm them and what's not a D if you send them three emails in a, D, a day, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out way too much. Um, but your C is maybe going to be annoyed that you're filling up their email, but as long as it's really good info and they're learning and they're like, oh, cool, this is awesome. They'll read it. You know, I do. Uh, there's a couple of newsletters that I get twice a day that I read because they actually have really cool stuff. And I'm like, all right, sweet. Now I know what's going on in the world. Awesome. Um, but there's other ones that I don't even open anymore and just literally get deleted. So it's understanding that what your client wants, and then you can figure out, all right, so how much of this stuff am I actually going to use? And so I know that I have the tendency to think that more is better, which is not a good thing. Um, and so I'm like, here is an entire library of information for you. Go find all that you would like to have, which is just not a good idea. And I know that, but yep. What is the like right <laughs> amount of information that you want to actually be sharing? Is it just like, if you're following up with someone, is it here's an article versus here's five articles for you to read? Uh, that's a really great question. And I think the amount of information you need to share is the amount that's going to give them their answer. So if you know that, Hey, we're at this point of the sales process and this is the answer they need. And here's the information they're looking for. What is, how do you deliver that in the most condensed version? Mm -hmm. So that they feel like, ah, sweet. She gave me a really cool answer and justification for it. And I'm happy, you know, 
I like the concept of, hey, here's the key information. And then having in uh, either email or at the like at the bottom of blog pages, if you want more, here's some other options for you. Here's where you can dive deeper. Uh, but, you know, up front, I want to make sure that I'm getting the D's their information right away because they need it. I need my C's to get some information plus the Y behind it. So they feel cool about it. It's like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, and then my eyes, they, they, they're really about uh, the impact. So I need them to understand how this works, why this is important to them. Mm-hmm. And my S's are all relationship builders. So they're wanting to make sure how this is going to help make their world better. Mm-hmm. So it's under, getting that stuff in that first piece so that everyone gets there what they needed. You know, the D's go first and their I's and the S's and the C's because they'll read the end. So they get their stuff at the bottom. But then giving them, hey, if you want more, here's articles. And here's where here's you can get Here's all of it. our thousands of blogs that you can immerse yourself <laughs> in and you get started going in this direction. Four. Pick four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, those four will also have another four at the bottom. Right. So you, this is why people get stuck in YouTube for hours at a time so they'll watch the one video they want it's like oh you like that here's more things that you might like it's like oh what's this oh and now i'm gonna watch this one you know and so the same concept if you are giving them the right answers and they're engaging in the content give them more options but let them decide you know if you just say hey here's a thousand articles about this thing that you were interested in most people are gonna be like oh i don't even know where to start that looks really like work and they'll just like, oh, I'll go back to it later. And then they never do. Right. And then is there a cadence with, you know, sales automation that, you know, you mentioned this super duper nifty Santa Barbara um, software have- that allows you to interrupt. But is there a sales cadence where you should not let the automation go too far before you actually are trying to schedule a call, do a human contact in touch? So it's, yes, with if I'm doing a drip campaign for someone who opted in on a website for a client, so we're totally working on lead generation now for them, I will usually have some triggers and we'll have lead scoring set up for the client. So we'll understand, hey, if the client clicks through and they visit the pricing page, yep, that's going to trigger a notification to the salesperson that, hey, you need to follow up with Stacy. She was on our pricing page. Uh but we're also going to give them different options. So usually at the first couple drips after someone opts in, it's all pure content. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's more info. You know, do you want more info? Click here and, you know, download this thing. And we're tracking all that information and scoring it. Hey, they clicked all our things. They opened all our stuff. Uh, we're going to give them points. They're hot. Oh, now they went to pricing. They're really hot. But usually once they hit a certain uh, level of score and that's dependent on every company is a little bit different they'll we'll do a notification to the salesperson like hey you need to call this person um, and then usually about the third email into the drip campaign is when we'll start uh, giving that option for them hey you want to set up a time to actually talk about this click this button but the first two are all pure uh, content for me. And I do that because I just got tired of always opting into something. And the first email I got back was, hey, here's your thing. You should set a meeting with us. And I know I'm like, yeah, because you want to sell me. And I don't even know if I have an issue right now. Right. So my initial focus for the drip people is always, hey, how do you know that you actually have an issue? 
What's the pain point? Yeah, what's the pain point? But, you know, because salespeople forget that nothing is an option. Doing nothing is literally an option a client has. Like, no, we're fine with the status quo. And that's an option that's like a go-to for a lot of people because it actually is more painful for some to have to stop on board, make a decision, then be responsible for this thing being a success and another thing added to their plate. Exactly. Most salespeople think they're competing against other other vendors. No, a lot of times you're you're also competing against the whole idea is like we don't have to do work. We don't have to do anything else. So those first two emails for me are always about, hey, how do you understand that this is an issue? How big of an issue is this for you? And helping them make those decisions. So they're like, wow, all right. So we need to do some more digging and then getting them into, hey, well, here's what's happened at other people in your industry. Here's case studies about your biggest competitor and the issues they had with this. And now that they fix it, what allowed them to do X. So it's giving them that information. They're like, oh, wow, yeah, we actually need to start looking at solutions. And then getting them into that whole idea of, of, all right, so what does a solution actually look like? What do we need it to do? What do we want it to look and feel like and help them create start creating the criteria? Because as salespeople, when I was doing a technical sales uh process if i got to help write the criteria i always won because i loved it when i got into a government agency like yeah we so need to fix this we haven't had a time to write an rfp to set out stuff it's like i'll help i'll write the rfp for you <laughs> yeah we totally helped them write the rfp because it would always include things that we knew we could only provide right so we'd get the bonus points we're like oh well we got to go with kevin at nextel yep bonus so that's a really big key when they're once they figured out that hey we have a problem if you can help them figure out what a solution actually is for them and what it should do you're going to be ahead of the other company that's just trying to sell and saying hey give me the give me the appointment we want to do a demo and show you what we can do okay i could talk to you for like another two hours but yeah i'm having a ton of fun we could totally do this for a while I'm pretty Uh, sure we both have meetings coming up at some point. But what I'd love to do is have our listeners find out how they can talk to you for hours too, if they so desire. How can they get a hold of you? Cool. All right. So I actually have a gift for all your listeners. If they text the word sell smarter, that's 612-429-4298. I will send them a list of questions that they can use to help map out their client's buying process and a guide to what content is most effective for each step in the sales process. Once they send that in, uh, they'll be in my system. So they'll get some text messages from me. They'll also get some emails and then they'll have the option if they want to uh, set up a meeting and talk, we can totally do that. I'd love to jump and have a virtual coffee with them. So that again, that phone number is 612 Four two nine, four two nine eight. Perfect. We will have that in the show notes as well, so that we can make sure that everyone knows that, and they should text the word "sell smarter." Yes. Okay. Anything else? They say, "Oh, 
Kevin, you're a guru. I can't wait. Should they include any other information? <laughs> they in can there? totally do that, but the automation is only looking for those two words. Okay. <laughs> so if it sees those two words, they'll be like, oh, this is, I know what I need to do it. They want this cool thing and they'll send them down that. And it's going to, well, once they get the content from me, they're going to get some other messages about how to join. I have an automation sales automation group on Facebook. If they want to get tips and tricks and interact with me there, they can do that. Uh, how to listen to me on the podcast. They'll get information on that as well. So they'll get all kinds kinds of options sent to them about how they can uh, join my world and my community. Well, Art, that's thank you so much for that. That's very valuable and very helpful. So look at that and they'll probably get enrolled in your automation process. Yes. Uh Awesome. And they'll be able to learn something from that. I try. Any last parting words of advice to our listeners today of how they can either get started or shore up their own processes? Yeah, you have to ask questions of the people that are supposed to be utilizing or be the in those processes. You need to get feedback. You can't, a lot of people when they create their sales process, it's sort of like, well, here's what my sales process is going to be. I found it on a website. Well, uh, okay, that's a all right place to start, but you have to refine it and actually figure out how it works for you and for your clients. So you have to be talking to the people that are in it mm-hmm. and taking that feedback from them and figuring out, all right, so how do we make it better? How do we make it faster? It's kind of like the $6 million man, you know, we can make him stronger, faster. And that's the same thing you need to look at with your, your processes. How do we improve them? You know, processes are a living thing. They're an entity. If you build them and never go back and look at them, eventually they're going to break and it's going to take you way more time to fix them then. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. Really enjoyed listening to you. I have a page of notes. I was madly typing <laughs> away. I'm hoping that everyone's not hearing click, click, click. If so, you're finding out that you know I found value from this podcast as well. But thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Stacey. I really enjoyed our conversation. And to all of our listeners, it's that time again at the end of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate your time and your attention. And if you ever have interest in all things pop culture, because here's where I get to say something about Hollywood Branded, make sure that you reach out to us and you can test our future automation process that we will get you enrolled in after we get this all dialed in. But we can talk about ways that we can make your brand shine leveraging star power and television and film and influencers and celebrities. And I look forward to chatting with you this next week. Until then, have a great one.